Okay, the Bible reading is from 2 Timothy this morning, um, and it's the entire um, chapter 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarrelling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, Sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. It's wonderful to be with you again today, and uh, we're we're crashing through to Timothy. So last week we looked at chapter 1, this week we get to chapter 2, it's a long chapter, and then next week's my last week here, so we'll do 3 and 4 at the same time. No, we're not going to do that, but... uh, Uh, We'll probably just jump straight to chapter 4. So if you're reading ahead, don't skip 3, but the focus will be on chapter 4 next week. It's a great chapter. Uh, Kez has already done a great job helping us to understand it. 
So let me, let me just ask that God will be helping us as we engage with his word right now. Father, we do thank you for your amazing love and mercy towards us in your son. And we ask that as we reflect on this, your word to us this morning, that you'll give us insight and understanding, help us to know what it means to be people you approve of, who live faithfully according to your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think most of us know what it's like to want the approval of others. You learn it from a very early age. You know, when you're a, a young child, you're looking for the approval of your parent, and you, I think you continue looking for that approval throughout most of your life. And uh, you know, psycholog- psychologists and psychiatrists tell us that if you, you don't get that vote of approval, that sense of being approved by your parents, you're in, you're in trouble. Uh, I think you see it in other areas. Uh, someone who's in a workplace situation who doesn't know the approval of their boss, never knows if they've got it or not, can feel really quite fragile and uncertain. Uh, if you're in a marriage and your spouse, you're not, they seem to be disapproving of you, and then it's very hard to form a close relationship. It just undermines the sense of cement that goes with that. And there are some of us who can't even win our own approval. Uh, you know what I mean? Like if you're a perfectionist, you can never get it right, can you? And uh, you're always striving to do better. When we come to 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, there's a sense in which Timothy is working out what it means to be an approved person. He's a young pastor. Uh, he's not getting many positives from any direction. Right? There are false teachers in the congregation who obviously think he's got it wrong when it comes to teaching the Bible and are taking people away from the church. Always hard for a pastor when people are disappearing. Right? There's a level of fragility about that. There are people in the congregation that, as you read through this uh, letter, are clearly struggling with sin. Okay, what does Timothy do when he knows there are people in the congregation as a young pastor who are sinning? Because you tackle sin, there's a risk that people may not like you doing that <laughs> and will either disappear or shun you at that point. The question of approval of others. There are unbelievers around Timothy and Ephesus right, who were saying, you believe in a God who got killed on a cross like a criminal and the moon is made of green cheese. You know, like they all thought he was stupid if they're unbelievers in the surrounding society. Right? He's getting this from different directions. And then we have Paul the Apostle who's in prison. And he's, he's on a bit of a slide at this point, not being very popular. And he's, he's sort of tempted to pull back from him. But at the same time, he's, he's his sort of master, the one who's trained him, but still wants his approval as well. And he's, Paul's the one who writes this letter at this point. Now, this sense of approval is not just, I'm not preaching this my benefit this morning particularly, right? Uh, although it is a word for me too. Uh, but we're all in a situation where there's that question of approval as we live to serve the Lord. So what does it mean? And you know the tension you feel when it comes to this situation, when it comes to unbelievers around you, right? Who, who say to you, so you think I'm going to hell if I don't believe in your God, Okay. And at that point, and I've had that people, friends of mine say that to me, close friends I've known for 30 years. And in my head, I'm thinking, yes, but if I say yes, this is probably not going to be very good from their perspective, you know, and I don't want to lose them. But you know that tension, don't you, when issues come up, when it comes to unbelievers and the way in which you approach those sort of situations. Uh, You know 
what it's like when you have a friend in the congregation who you know uh, is acting in a way that is clearly inconsistent with the way God wants them to live. So what do you do? So if you speak to them, you risk the friendship, don't you? So tell the pastor, he can risk the friendship. Remember, you know the tension, don't you, when it comes to those sort of issues and situations. It's a word for all of us at this point. Paul says to Timothy, he ought to be looking for approval. Right? He ought to look for approval. And you pick it up about halfway through the chapter. So have it open in front of you, either in the leaflet or uh, in your Bibles. Verse 15. Paul says to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Uh, New Year's Eve, I think it was, Adelaide Oval, there was the Big Bash cricket match, you know, 50,000 people crowding at Adelaide Oval and the players just living on the hype of all those fans, especially at the Adelaide Oval for our local team, you know, uh, cheering everything they did right. Paul says to Timothy, there is only one person in your grandstand, just one, and that is God himself. Live for his approval alone. Now, that is a word for everyone who counts themselves a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Live for the approval of God. Not because your salvation rests on it. We've already cleared that one out of the way when we looked at chapter 1, verse 9. In chapter 1 says, God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. God saves us when we oppose him. Okay, So we're not living for the salvation approval of God. That's a given thing. We're living in response to the grace we've received in line with his purposes for us. That's the point that Paul is making to Timothy at this point. We don't have a performance-based relationship with God, but there are certain things that fall in line with what it means to be a follower. So what does that mean for Timothy? Uh, To be one who is approved by God. Back in verse 14 of chapter 1, he's already been told to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to him. Now that deposit is the message about Jesus. It's the gospel. So in verse 8 of chapter 1, it's the testimony about our Lord. Verse 9 of chapter 1, we've been saved by his grace. Verse 10 of chapter 1, we've, uh, we follow the one who has destroyed death by the resurrection and given us life. So how does Timothy guard this deposit? We come to chapter 2. And what happens in the first two verses of chapter 2, it sets up the chapter. Verse 1 sets up the first half of the chapter. Verse 2 sets up the second half of the chapter. Let me show you how that works. Um, Verses 1 and 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So from verses 1 to 13, Paul then talks to Timothy about being strong, enduring, being loyal to Christ. Then in verse 2 of chapter 2, it says, And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men will also be qualified to teach others. Pass the gospel on to reliable people, which is the dominant idea in verses 14 to 26. Okay, So verses 1 and 2 sort of set up the, the, the way in which it's framed as you go through this chapter. Now, Remember, uh, 
This is a, a letter from Paul to Timothy. So it's directly applicable to a, a pastor, uh, anyone actually who has responsible for teaching. Kez has just talked about the need for people in, you know, children's and youth ministry, home group leaders, Anyone who teaches the Bible to anyone else is, is squarely within the frame of what Paul is talking about to Timothy here. But can I say the pattern for leaders sets the pattern for the congregation. So the instructions here are always a patterning sort of instruction for us all to be thinking about, no matter what our situation among the people of God. Okay, let's look at it together. First half of the chapter, enduring in the gospel. There's a number of times that Paul says to Timothy that he's going to encounter opposition and tough times, just like Paul has. So you pick it up in verse 3, endure hardship. Uh, Verses 8 and 9, this is my gospel for which I'm suffering. Verse 10, Paul again talks about enduring everything. And then in verse 12, he says, if we endure, then we'll reign. Now, the, the sort of suffering being talked about here is not... Not a general suffering. Uh, it's not when you get, get cancer or uh, the reality of living in a fallen world. Uh, it's, it's much more focused than that. It's the opposition that you face because you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. The opposition you face because you're being faithful to God in that situation. Paul's in prison. He's about to die. And that's because he's a gospel preacher. He's been faithful in that. Timothy's under pressure. Uh, We're under pressure too. Uh, We know the the flack or the opposition or the sniping or the avoidance that, that happens when you're open about being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ whether that's at work or in neighbourhoods or in family contexts for some of us with unbelievers, at uni, at school or wherever it is, you know that that is a reality. So how, when you're under that sort of pressure, how do you endure? How do you keep going? Well, verse 1 tells us, it says, be strong. Okay, be strong, right? The message is toughen up, work harder, Develop a thicker skin, lift more weights, run more laps. No, (laughs) it's actually the opposite of that, to be quite honest. Uh, Read through the rest of the uh, verse with me. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in grace. Isn't that an interesting combination of ideas? Same idea is repeated in verse 8. Remember... Jesus, who is raised from the dead. The message here is not work harder. That's not absent from this chapter. But it's not the primary focus here. The key to endurance is to keep reflecting on God's forgiveness, his mercy and his salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that is critical for being able to endure I was reading an account uh, in a book just recently that reminded me of this this idea of enduring and remembering Jesus when the pressure's on. It came out of a a missionary journal. So a man who works in a network of missionaries uh, was visiting an elderly couple in Hong Kong. 
And this is the, um, the story he tells. This is a Westerner visiting a Chinese couple in a flat. He says, a friend took me down a narrow alley to a second floor flat to meet a man recently released from prison in China. A Chinese man in his 60s opened the door. His smile was radiant, but his back was bent almost double. He led us to a sparsely furnished room. A Chinese woman of about the same age came in to serve tea. As she lingered, I couldn't help but notice how they touched and lovingly looked at each other. My staring apparently didn't go unnoticed, for soon they were both giggling. Remember, these are guys in their 60s. What is it? I asked my friend. Nothing, he said with a smile. They just wanted you to know that it was okay. They're newlyweds. And I learned that they'd been engaged in 1949 when he was a student at the Nanking Bible College. On the day of their wedding rehearsal, Chinese communists seized the Bible College and they took students to a hard labour prison. And for the next 30 years, the bride-to-be was allowed only one visit per year. Each time, following their brief minutes together, the man would be called to the warden's office and he would say, you may go home with your fiancé, he said, if you will renounce Christianity. And year after year, this man replied with just one word, no. And I was stunned. How had he been able to stand the strain for so long, being denied his family, his marriage, even his health? When I asked, he seemed astonished at my question. He replied, with all that Jesus has done for me, how could I betray him? Paul is talking about enduring in grace, in the knowledge of all that God has done for us. That is foundational to pressing on. And then we're given examples of the determination required to go with that. Verses 3 to 4, the soldier isn't caught up in, uh, or entangled is the word, entangled in civilian affairs. That's caught up in life. That just distracts you. I think there's a big issue for us, isn't it? Do you find each year I get to this time of the year and I think last year seems to have been busier than the year before? There just seem to be more and more things. It might just be me, but, you know, I'm feeling like it just speeds up. And, you know, the more we had kids, we became empty nesters. I thought it's slowing down. Then we had grandchildren speeding up, you know. (laughs) Like it's, you know, you never escape really at one level entangled in the affairs of life that just crash in upon you. Or the athlete who operates according to the rules. Or verse 6, the farmer who has determined hard work and patience. Remember, keep pressing on. Verse 10, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus. You keep pressing on in the end for the sake of others around you as well so that they will hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've all got our friends and family and people we work with, colleagues, that we're keen to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Timothy knows unless, uh, Paul knows unless Timothy preaches that undiluted gospel, then people cannot hear and cannot respond. 
But it is a wonderful encouragement to know that God uses you, isn't it? Whether you're preaching the gospel or you're just one link in the chain of what God is doing. Um, a week and a half ago, I got an email from someone uh, who told me about a person, a student who'd been in our church from overseas about 10 years ago. Uh, they'd just been, been baptised up in Alice Springs, and he forwarded it to me. So this is the way the student from China uh, talked about their testimony. They came, onto the, uh, came to Adelaide, didn't know anyone, weren't Christian, but had heard that Christians were kind and would help her learn English, and uh, you could trust them. So she was looking around for a church, came down North Terrace in the city, saw Trinity Church, the oldest church in our city, and she said, it looked pretty underwhelming, not her word, but she said, I, th- I expected it to be looking much more impressive, but thought, oh, well, I'll go in. And she wandered into the site, and it was after, after 6 o'clock or something, and uh, she said there was this old guy who came out and was locking up the gates um, and saw me and came over to ask me whether he could help. And uh, uh, he obviously didn't understand her English much. She said she wanted to get involved in the church in some way. So he took her details down and passed them on to the international's worker. But her comment was, his smile was so friendly and welcoming, right? Now, I was the old guy. Um, <laughs> and she said, no, later worked out he was the pastor, you know. Uh, this girl, involved at Trinity in the city for about four years, then got a job in Alice Springs. Didn't become a Christian while she was well with us. Went, to, went up there, had a bit of contact with friendly people in churches up there. And then about 12 months ago, she joined a Bible study run by Nick and Kima, who'd just come to Alice Springs to work. Nick and Kima were international students who came into the city, unconverted, became Christians, then got jobs in Alice Springs. Right? started a Bible study there to which Zoe, this girl, came along to. She lapped up the Bible again, became a believer, and then uh, Nick said, you really ought to get baptised. So she did and sent that message through. Nick and Kima didn't overlap with Zoe at all. Right? There was Zoe, and then about two years later, Nick and Kima came to our church isn't that wonderful why God does that? I think it's the key thing was my smile. You understand, you know? Uh, the key thing was God's grace and mercy towards Zoe and the way in which he orchestrated and put those pieces together for his glory and honour and for her good. Now, be encouraged that the Lord is always overruling for his good purposes and his honour and the way in which he uses you as you seek to honour him in your connections with people. Keep, keep enduring, pressing on, trusting in the gospel. The second half of the chapter picks up on the nature of continuing to pass that gospel on to others. So they're not totally separate, but the, the ideas overlap. So in verse 2, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses in trust to reliable men They'll be qualified to teach others. So you get that sense of four generations here. Um, uh, Paul and Timothy passes on to others who pass on to others, right? There's that, that passing of the baton along. And that idea dominates as we get into the second half of the chapter. Uh, verse 14, a workman needs to correctly handle the word of truth. Uh, verse 24, uh, the Lord's servant must be able to teach. Handling the word with skill. 
Uh, this correctly handling idea is the uh, idea of cutting straight. Not so much um, deep knowledge of Greek and Hebrew, we're talking about here, but clarity when it comes to the nature of the gospel, being able to get to the heart of it. That's what's on view here. So as you go through this section, we're told to avoid godless chatter. Verse 16, um, that's what it says, avoid godless chatter. Now, sometimes I've heard people say, what, what's this godless chatter that's being referred to here? Is it just small talk? Normally that's raised by people who don't like small talk, I found. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, how was your week? Do you think uh, we'll really win the fifth test it's at the Sydney Cricket Ground? I came across a good recipe you should find helpful in your cooking. Uh, you know, uh, that sort of chit-chat. You know, and people are saying, ah, avoid this godless chatter, right? Except that's not what it's talking about at all. And if you read the rest of verse 16 and 17, you pick up what's going on. Uh, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. See, we talk, the godless chatter is false teaching. That's what's on view. And then we get the illustration of who these false teachers are as you go through verses 17 and 18. Hymenaeus and Philetus, they have wandered from the truth. Now, how have they done that? Well, they say the resurrection has already happened and they destroy the faith of some. Uh, this godless chatter is false teaching about the resurrection. Now, we're not sure exactly, you know, we're not sure what they're talking about here. See, if I look out on you, right, I have no misconception that you have already been raised from the dead. Right? Yeah, I'm convinced that is not the case as I look at you. Right? And as I look at you from year to year, I'm more convinced right? because you're going downhill, not uphill for most of you. Some of who are smaller, you know, but generally that's the way it's going. So we're not sure exactly what's going on. It might have been some pseudo-spiritual te- teaching about being raised in the spirit or something like that. But whatever it was, it was wrong and it led to false living, godless living. And that was the concern that uh, Paul had, as he writes, to Timothy. Godless teaching. Uh, We had to be clear about the nature of the gospel, uncompromising about it when it comes to truth, not fudging on it, because people don't hear it, they can't believe it. But at the same time, there's a need to be humble and gentle as you handle the word of God. There are some arguments that Christians need to have, like when it comes to false teaching that spreads like green green in verse 17. And those sort of issues just need to be tackled up front and clearly. But Paul says there are also really dumb and stupid arguments, and we ought not have those. Uh, Verse 23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know that they produce quarrels. It's the same idea back in verse 14 when it talks about quarrelling about words. Now there's probably a particular word for Timothy here. Verse 22, he's told to flee from the evil desires of youth. And I think it's easier when you're young to argue about things that are less central and to get caught up in those sort of things um, and to be distracted by them. Timothy's being told not to engage in every debate, 
but make the main game the main game. Now, because I've been in Christian leadership for a couple of decades now, uh, I've heard lots of dumb arguments and useless quarrels, right? And uh, I won't go through them all because it would take way too long. Uh, but things like, um, uh, not in, these are all not this, this church, okay? So don't feel like I'm having a go at anyone uh, because I'm not. Uh, I've heard it though, um, this church doesn't like old people, right? Now that's a serious charge actually if it's true. But the reasoning behind that is because we don't sing old hymns. Right? Uh, as if caring for old people is linked to singing of old hymns, you see. Uh, that is, you're reducing to, uh, fellowship to music and hymns, which, of course, is a bit silly you know, when it comes down to it because it's not core as an argument. Now, you may have a preference for particular music and songs, and because we care for people, we may actually choose songs that encourage certain people in different ways, but understand it's not central. Um, things like... Uh, should Christians play sport on Sundays? Okay, I've heard that's a dumb and a stupid argument. Right? Now, there may be a principle that lies behind it to be wrestled with, but it's not central to the nature of the gospel. That is, could we meet on Fridays as God's people? Yes. Would that free up Sundays for sport? Yes. That is, sport's not the issue. It's meeting with God's people that's the issue. That's the priority when it comes to it. Do you understand? It, the argument gets distracted. Um, arguing about theological niceties. Uh, I, I ran into a guy at the airport maybe 12 months ago who was someone I went through young adults with at Trinity, right? 20 years ago. Okay, 30 years ago. Well, 35 years ago, right? Yeah, okay. You know, uh, we went through the same, same group together. And he is no longer a follower of Jesus. And as I was talking with him, he said, you know... I, I don't count myself a Christian anymore. And in fact, he said, I don't know that I ever was a Christian, really, even though I was involved in this young adult group for maybe, I don't know, three or four years that I could remember. He said, I don't know that I was ever a, a Christian. He said, but you know, I loved Calvinism. I really loved debating Calvinism. You know? Now, understand, that's the sort of useless argument that Paul's talking about here. It's not that you can't pick things up, but it's focusing on a doctrinal purity issue when you don't have the central thing squared away. That is the sort of risk that Paul is talking about here. There's stuff that it's important to disagree over, and then there's then stuff that's dumb to argue over. So the thing is, don't, don't argue about things that you feel strongly about, Right? We don't care much what you feel strongly about, actually. Oh, yeah, I say that in a marginal way. Right? Uh, but let me say you should always be strong on what God is strong on. And a good grasp is where we'll help that. See? Not arguing about what we feel strongly about, but being concerned about the things that God feels strongly about. That's, that's the key thing to do. But even if you're coming to this question of uh, false teaching, I want to show you something that I think really stands out uh, in this chapter. Uh, if you find yourself as someone who is regularly in heated arguments with other people and disputes, where you're strongly expressing your views in a constant way and demanding that people's behaviour changes, 
in line with scripture. Can I say you're not mature? You're not mature. Can't possibly be. Let me show you why. Verse 24. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to who? Kind to everyone. Able to teach and not resentful. And those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. Now, can I say this is a danger for the young and for the not so young? Uh, this is actually a danger. As I uh, get slightly older, <laughs> I'm more aware, I think, than ever before of the danger of impatience with people, uh, intemperance. Uh, now, I've used stupid and foolish fairly regularly this morning. I understand that comes from the Bible. But it's easy, actually, to step into that sort of language when you're confronting people and you just get in their face and try and contradict them. I find, for example, for me, that when people um, talk about what I regard as sort of legalism, you know, Christian rules attached to the gospel about how Christians should live, that just sets me off, you know. And I find I really have to work hard to be patient in the face of that. That's got a lot to do with my own background. But there'll be, th- there'll be buttons probably for you that get pressed that you just need to be aware of. Even when there's false teaching, significant errors or stupid arguments, as Paul describes them here. Notice what Paul says Timothy is to do, even in the face of false teaching. Be kind, not resentful, gently instruct. Kind, not resentful, gently instruct. Now, why? because you don't want to sort of get into a conflict situation. If one starts yelling, the next one will. Before you know it, you're punching each other's lights at you. And they're like, is it? No. Understand the instruction is verse 25, because we hope that God will grant them repentance. The goal is never to win an argument. The goal is always to win the person, not for yourself, but in relationship with the Lord Jesus, with God himself. And we don't want our manner to block that in any way. Gently instruct so that people will turn and repent. It's a chapter uh, about how the followers of Jesus win the approval of God. It applies to teachers, to leaders, to members of a church. We all want to receive the that voice of approval from God. Well done, good and faithful servant. We want that. How do you do it? Well, you trust the gospel and endure in it. Verse 9, God's word is not chained. Uh, The truth of the gospel must be central to our fellowship together. If we don't have that, uh, you know, we're wasting our time. And we need to remember it's powerful. That is, my words come out of my mouth and fall on the ground. Do you know? They've got no power at all. But the words of God pierce hearts and minds and bring about change by the power of his spirit. That's the reality. Trust the word of God. But we also need to live in the knowledge of God's grace. See, truth without grace can be harsh, can't it? It can be sort of tough. And that's why we're instructed, verse 23, to avoid stupid and foolish arguments. Verse 24, to be kind 
to everyone and to gently instruct. But you know, if you're like me, I'm never quite sure if I get the balance right. Truth and grace, grace and truth. Ooh, you know, like, which, you know, and if you're like me, you're never quite sure. Am I being too gentle and taking too much time to get to the gospel? How do I sort of punch them in the middle of the eyes, you know, with the gospel truth when I shouldn't have done that? You know, like being too forthright in terms of speaking the truth. Which is why I find the instruction here about God's sovereignty in this chapter is so, so helpful. Let me show you just as I finish up. Verse 13. Paul says to Timothy,